Thank you for tuning in to Chandelier Chats. I'm your host, Rochelle LaCour. Please don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Thank you. Michael Rivas is a certified high performance coach, a Live Your Purpose certified coach, and a U.S. Navy veteran and an Indianapolis 500 winning mechanic. Welcome, 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 Michael. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing very well. And thank you so much for having me here, Rochelle. I truly appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to this fun little engagement that we are adventuring into. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. So I would love to start with you telling us a little bit about your mission. Well, you know, the mission constantly, you know, evolves, but really I'm, I want to help people to feel free and comfortable in expressing their authentic self. And, you know, in my experience in my life, which is limited, I've only been around for so long and only seen so many people, but there are very few of us that give ourselves permission to be truly authentic. We're always a little bit afraid because, you know, somewhere in life, it, you know, we try to show ourselves and it was, it was squelched. It was shut down, you know, even from um, an early age, you know, I can remember um, being upset about something and, and, and wanting to cry and, and having, you know, a parent say that I better shut up or else I'll give you something to cry for. So in that moment, you know, I was taught that I wasn't even entitled to have feelings. And so that has repercussions throughout life. So, um, you know, the coaching part, you know, we take what's working and kind of focus on making it better. But through that, we'll uncover areas where we have a reoccurring issue or a reoccurring problem. Not show up with a different person, different places, but at the core, it's the same thing. And often it goes back to those things very early in life where we assigned a meaning and held it as an unbreakable truth. And so that's the two certifications I have, the high performance, you know, takes where we are and keeps us on focus moving forward. But then the live your purpose is a trauma informed that gets us, you know, to kind of do a little bit inner work, look at that pattern, realize a root cause, and then begin to tell a different story to move us forward. And, um, you know, initially I wanted to help as many people as I can, but now to the point, it's like, you know, if I could just help this person in front of me right now, then what more can I ask for? What greater gift, what greater honor is just to help a single person and then you know if i do it well enough and then in time that becomes 5 10 15 20 100 you know however big it goes so it's always a refinement trying to have a big vision but then also just have a let's just do what we can let's do what's in front of us kind of vision as well and i'm curious how does being a u.s navy veteran and an indianapolis 500 uh winning mechanic how does that play into your coaching where does that come in well it's an interesting thing in the in the service. You know, you go into to boot camp, and right away they basically try to strip you of your identity as an individual. You know, they you know they cut off your hair. You know, they put you all in the same exact clothes. You're all piled in all the time. You go everywhere together all the time. I mean, you know, I mean, you're doing you know even the most intimate things. You've got company in places you are not used to having them. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and you become more of a like a, a large organism, if you will, but it's in the purpose of, you know, a bigger mission and teaching you attention to detail and teaching you about, you know, teamwork and the power of it. So, and then some people are lucky enough to get some, some training in, in while they're in the Navy for a specialty. And as part of that, you learn to, you know, get some sort of vocation and the school in Navy, it's eight hours, five days a week, 
you know, there's a quiz every day. If you don't get at least a 75, you get to go what they called rock study that night until you could pass again. So it, you know, there, it was no, you know, no recess, no days off. I mean, it was very six months of a Navy school is probably the equivalent to associate's degree as far as, you know, I went to junior college for a while and it was like, take a class, go to the coffee shop, take a class, you know, hang out, have lunch. You know, I didn't really feel like going to that class today. Whole different thing. And you're still going to see and pass and you get the degree. And, and you know, so, so I got trained and I was exposed on also how to train people. Once you get down into the fleet on a ship, we're operating in, in my case, um, the power plant, electric plant of, of a ship that's out in the middle of the ocean. And so if I don't know how to do my job and you're in the middle of the ocean, you got no power, no electricity, there's no one to call, right? No one's coming for you for, you know, hours and hours and hours. And the sea is sometimes, you know, not a very friendly place. And so we had to do our job. And so you learn a lot of consequence. You learn just a lot about yourself, kind of about life. You know, I got to travel, you know, between, you know, Navy and the racing. I've been to 22 countries. So I've got to see some other cultures and some other things. And you see the best of people and you see the worst of people. As a younger person, you tend to kind of judge and assign blame, but hopefully with age, you can kind of grow and learn and say, oh, this person, this is where they come from. That's what they are shown. That's what they know. That's who they are. And try to accept that and then, you know, work with it. So, and then again, racing, it's very high consequence. When you work on a car that's going 200 miles an hour, you better do it right because somebody can get hurt or somebody can get killed. And... If you're not good, you know, then you lose and that sucks. So there's, <laughs> right? So you wanna be good. So there's a mixture of accountability. There's a kip, uh, um, of measuring of real world. You know, when you go to Naples 500 and you're, you're there with 300,000 people and you know, millions of people on TV and it's something you care about and a dream about your whole life. And the feeling of that is there's no place like it. And then, you know, the, that first pit stop, you know, you're coming in and there's a car coming in. You, you know, at, you at 50 miles an hour and you jump off the wall and you're right there and this guy just, you know, just comes right there and, and you want to get this right. I mean, you have, you know, any more of those guys that can do it in like, you know, three seconds tire change back when I was doing it, it was closer to like five or six. And it was just, you know, a lot of intensity. When you first start doing the pit stop, you're just so focused just on just what you're doing. But as you get better with, and used to it, your awareness opens up and you could hear of the four air guns. If it's going right, it sounds like one long air gun. You become aware of what's going on around you. And you're still focused on what you're doing, but because you get repetition, you're aware of another dimension of actually being able to be focused in doing, yet sort of outside of yourself and aware. So I learned about that's kind of a flow state sort of thing. So flow requires consequence and that's fairly consequential. So between those things, they just helped me to prepare, not just to, to be able to think, to train and to interact, but then also I've met so many different people. I feel like I've got, you know, a majority of the major sort of strains, if you will, of personality, of type, of, you know, a way to like, oh, this is one of those people. I've got to just let them, you know, feel like they're in control and, and just give that to them and then work with them. And other people, oh, you have to lead this person around. And uh, so all that and then getting some coaching training is just really prepared me to really meet people where they are in a way that's authentic and it resonates with them so that they know like, okay, this guy isn't just some, some talking head. He hasn't done exactly what I've done, but he's done some stuff that I can see, you know, is, is close enough that we, we can kind of, we can meet up and we can work together. And so that's a lot of um, what that is to me. A lot, you know, the things that we've done are our accomplishments, 
they're great to kind of put up on the shelf, you know, a little trophy or whatnot, but really to me, they're all just preparation, you know, and they're all just uh, little, little hints and clues of things that, yes, this went well, so you can repeat some and take some away from that. Some things that there didn't go well, you can learn from those and grow. Mm -hmm. They're just preparing for the, for the next and the now, and how can I, you know, better serve the people I want to serve, and how can I be more true to the person I, you know, am and deserve to be and express in this world, because that's only the, the, the ultimate mission, is to be 100% pure expression of ourselves. And when we get there, and I have not yet, I'm not, I get glimpses of it, but yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so what do you think holds people back from fully expressing themselves? You mentioned earlier a little bit about, you know, what's happened in their childhood and, you know, maybe not being able to feel safe or maybe it's been squashed or, or shut down. What else do you think holds people back from expressing well, themselves and, and having a real voice? Yeah, and that's one of those things, you know, it's really interesting as I speak, I, I try to be aware because when I'm, um, when I'm looking at things out there in the world, all this self-development stuff, and it just says, break your limiting beliefs, you know, or, you know, everything is possible. And, and there's a lot of stuff that makes a lot of very, um, very big assumptions. And, and the very first thing is, you know, hey, we have to have opportunity, right? I mean, you could be the highest performing, most well-adjusted person in the world, but it, it's sort of your timing. And I like to look back to uh, indigenous people in this country because I really like them. I don't know them, but you know, from a sort of a romantic and a sort of um, environmental, environmental, ecological, you know, just kind of cool thing. They lived in harmony with with nature for you know tens of thousands of years. You know, really raw stuff. I mean, they they had no electricity, they had no air conditioning, they had no running water. You know, they had to make their own fire, they had to hunt their own food or and grow it. So, I mean, they were getting it done. And they had small groups of people with very few of the social issues that we have, you know, there, there no big wars, not a bunch of domestic abuse. None of those things could happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here to talk about it. So, the you know, kind of going back to modern day stuff, you know, your Maslow's hierarchy, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, if you've got to have shelter, food, water, clothing, and a basic safe place to even be to get to even start to work on these next higher level things. But assuming you have, you know, some sort of safety or not any sort of serious, you know, harm and abusive relationship every day where it's hard to get out of, you know, if we can begin to just get out of our own way and pay attention to what happens in, in our lives, you know, we'll all have that boss that we just don't like. But what that boss is showing us is a place that we need work. Because if we didn't need to work there, we wouldn't have them or they would respond to us differently. Or that one friend who continually you know, whatever it is they do, um, you know, the type of relationship we find ourselves in, you know, we get a lot of, there's so much stuff to men to separate us. Um, you know, it's from a men's side, it's always a woman's fault or from a woman's side, not, not always, I'm just saying some people will say that there's a narrative there, but mm -hmm. really we attract and interact, give or take, you know, a few degrees of the spectrum, you know, you know, someone who's kind of, you know, got a lot to learn and, you know, hasn't done any self-help work or self-development work, who's got some issues, is it going to get together with a really high functioning, you know, person who's gone through and done a bunch of work and are at peace with their past? Because there's, there's just no, you know, it's just not going to happen. So what we attract and what we interact with is where we need to work. And it's not good or bad. There's not levels. It's just us. And oftentimes the biggest thing, it's really painful to look inside and think that somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone you loved and trusted and someone that should have loved and cared for you not maliciously necessarily, 
but they, they didn't give you what you wanted or needed. And so that goes into some stuff around your sense of worth, you know, whether you felt wanted. And it, it, you know, it leaves some marks in our early operating systems. You know, early in life, not are we just young, but from zero to three, our brain grows in a, no, you know, no place in our life does it ever do anything different. At three, we're actually at mass saturation for uh, synaptic, synaptic connections. It's just because you think about what you learn in those. You learn to operate a body. You learn to read facial expressions. You learn to learn a language. Sometimes, too, you learn to jump, play, right? You learn if you fall and, you know, your parent freaks out, then you cry. If you fall and, you know, your parent says, good, you keep going. I mean, it's really big. And then all that stuff tapers off. So early on, those pathways, they're really strong. They're, they're in there. You know, the, the heavy ones that make a mark, so to speak, they're, it's not really a scar, it's more like a channel or a conduit, if you will, but so all that stuff sticks. So we have to kind of go back and, and see, you know, where, 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 where some foundational stuff where I made, you know, some, their real meetings at the time, but they're not real meetings in, in the, the space or the context of our lives. And, but that stuff hurts. It, it can be painful. It can be scary. Mm -hmm. Even to go back and visit it, you feel it again. And that's uncomfortable. For the most part, you know, our, our biology is such that, you know, if you touch something hot, you pull back. You mm -hmm. know, we are surviving and we go for comfort. And to, so to purposely go into discomfort, and especially in a scary, unknown, unknown place like our own emotions, which for some people, that's the last place they want to go. I mean, they'll go play in traffic, but they are not taking a look inside their heart. <laughs> You know, so, you know, it, it, it's a very, um, you know, it's a very individual, it's a very, um, you know, it's a choice. There's a, hopefully a big enough chunk of people will get to a point where they're willing to say, you know what, as scary as it is going in here, this place is getting unbearable. So let's mm -hmm. go in here and fix it. Mm -hmm. I think in my own experience, working with, with clients and, you know, just observing people around me and, for, and from my own experience, you know, some of the most potent transformations, some of the deepest healing has happened just by naming, you know, what we're feeling. Because uh, I mean, from my own experience, like I spent 29 years not being physically in my body. I was, you know, somewhere floating around out here because growing up, you know, I experienced a lot of deep trauma and it wasn't safe for me to be in my body. And so I think it's really a really interesting perspective because I personally like to be in the discomfort because I know that I don't grow in a comfort zone. And I'm sure you, you know that as well. If you're in a place of comfort, you're not going to grow. It's okay to be there sometimes, but to spend your whole life living in a, you know, in the comfort zone in the bubble, you know, there's so much more to life. There's so much more to explore. And the more I unwrap or unpack or, you know, watch clients unwrap and unpack things, the more I watch them emerge and claim that part of themselves and free that part of themselves that would otherwise maintain or, or be suppressed and be held back and caged. And I'm, I'm sure you, you feel the same way sometimes. Yeah. It's very interesting as I, you know, hear you say those things, um, you know, comfort, it's very interesting. Like we, if, especially as you mentioned, kind of grow up in it and that's what we learn. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I tend to think of people in abusive relationships. It's known, it's a known, it's something familiar. And so the known and the familiar can be comfortable. It's not good. It's not ideal. It's not serving really anybody, but it's, there's a comfort in it. You know, it's a like, you know, oh, that's just, I know that pain. You know, I understand mm -hmm. it's, it's predictable. 
to risk giving up that for an unknown, pleasurable, healthy environment or relationship is very scary. Mm -hmm. The unknown is very scary. And when we, what we focus on, you know, not from an energetic standpoint, we hear that a lot, you know, where focus goes, energy follows. But if we focus on an unknown, then that takes us into being frightened. So at that area, we're, we're not even able to really use our reasoning, our, our you know, executive functioning to actually have thought and apply some, some logic or, or even some healthy, you know, sort of a intellectual detachment from our issue to try to problem solve because we're just stuck in a, you know, a fight or flight thing. So see, it's a big thing. And there's, it's a nice, I like your distinction too, because a lot of people um, in that comfort zone or fear, there's a lot of um, interesting conception or words used around those things. But, you know, fear in modern person's life, I mean, in my house, you know, there's nothing attacking me, you know, like fear, if you're just going back, you know, 300 years ago, you know, there was a lot less comfort and a lot less protection and you were more in touch with the elements, you know, like those, you know, people in Texas right now, they've got some serious fear around, you know, whether they're going to have, you know, water, you know, their, their shelters now, you know, frozen, you know, they're 35 degrees inside their house, you know, their food, you know, the grocery store is shut down. So that's some legitimate fear right there. That is, there's no mindset stuff there. There's, and you're not, you know, that's so that's, again, let's go back to where all these little platitudes do not apply. Mm -hmm. Those attitudes are for when you're at the right altitude to be able to take advantage of them. From a yeah. place first, you have to have that 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 comfort zone as a base, and then from there, with a sense of safety and purpose and intentional focus, you can move forward. Is that as a reference and a place to start from and return to if necessary? Yes, yes, I agree. And you know, it took a long time for myself personally to learn that I was even in that place. Like I was completely unaware. It took me uh, until 2016, right after my mom passed away in 2015 to start to go, hey, whoa, who am I? Like, who am I without my mom? And who am I without, you know, this attachment to someone who is passing away from cancer? Because we all know someone who's been affected by cancer, whether it's, you know, directly related to us or through someone that we know. I started to wonder like, who am I without this story? And the deeper I started to go into it, the more I realized how out of my body I had been and how afraid I was of what it would be like to know myself and to know, wow, okay, when I'm experiencing this, it's because of this. Or when my body feels like this, it's because of this most people don't even ever get to that place in their life. And, and in my humble opinion, it shouldn't take, you know, the death of a loved one or something even more devastating for people to kind of snap awake and be like, whoa, I should, I should be doing something. But we often start to identify ourselves with what our surroundings are instead of allowing ourselves to be individuals and identify as what we want to be or what we would like to create for ourselves. And I, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on that. Well, you know, that's absolutely a, a true statement. As you say those things, first, you know, I totally, you know, re respect and admire your willingness to share, you know, sort of thing. And, and I have, you know, different reasons, but the same sort of thing. I was not aware, but for much of my life, you know, you used to, you know, being out of your body. But for me, it's been just disassociation, you know, mm -hmm. from an early age. Um, one of the things, one of my, my survival patterns and protectives, you know, device I had that I am so thankful for 
is if I was just somewhere in a corner reading a book, nothing bad happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I became invisible to stuff I didn't need to deal with. Books were a place for me to go. And I, I, I went into the book. I was no longer there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I became the characters. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was vicariously living and separating from a world that my young mind really a, shouldn't have had to deal with, but it didn't, wasn't capable and didn't want to. So it was a beautiful thing. And as you mentioned that disassociation, you know, that, that's, that's a very old protective mechanism that our body has um, within mm-hmm. a, something called polyvagal theory that's called dorsal. And that's when you just shut down and you're not even in your body anymore because going way back when, you know, when the lion got hold of you, you know, you didn't want to be there for it. And no. <laughs> so, so our nervous system, our mind actually devised a way so that to soften that transition, you know, from something very painful to something tolerable for a few minutes until it was over. So yeah, that's uh, important things. And, you know, as you're saying that too, you know, oftentimes it's something big that triggers that you know, like a large chunk of who we are is suddenly taken away from us. A parent, mm-hmm. a big job change, a big relationship change, you know, it's a divorce, it's the, you know, the death of a loved one, something traumatic happens to us. And now, you know, reality is basically slapped us upside the head and says, you might want to, you know, make a new one now because you've got this, you got this empty spot now. <laughs> and this is, you know, it's one of those things, it's, it's up for debate, but Years ago, I saw something that said that basically there's like maybe seven different spheres of sort of intellect or, you know, what we're sort of predisposed to be, you know, some people are very musical, like, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't carry a tune in a pail. I try, I, I took, you know, I took the <laughs> college. I just don't, I don't have pitch. I can't hear it. And you have to be able to hear it to be able to sing. And then also have a, you know, a great set of, you know, vocal cords in your teeth and your jaw and your skull. It's all the instrument. And if you don't have it, you might get okay, but you'll never be great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or, you know, athletics, again, man, I know me trying to, you know, run and bounce a ball and then put it through a hoop. It just doesn't happen. You know, yeah. I mean, I've gave it a go. I'll have some fun with it, but you know, I'm not that athletic. Other things like some people are, you know, there's awareness in space and time and how things are going together. Their, their spatial awareness and, and where things are, you know, they're good. And other people are always just bumping into things, you know, they're not bad people. Mm-hmm. And so there's, also introspection, the ability, you know, the ability to sort of kind of get outside yourself, but then look in, in a, you know, semi non-biased, you know, it's, it's difficult to get completely non-biased, but to kind of look in and think, hmm, what's going on here? You know, is, is there something I could do differently, you know? And for many people, you know, say modern American society, there's various cultural, in, you know, influences and even, you know, gender things on who's allowed to have so much power, you know? Mm-hmm. You know just a few generations back, you know, the guy went out to work and the woman stayed home and took care of the house and raised the kids. And that's what it was. And then when World War II began to shift that. Now women got workplace and they kind of liked that. And they thought, hey, I, I can do this stuff. I'm good at it. And I kind of like it. But then the guys mm-hmm. came home and then not only did they come home and that dynamic had to reshift, but the guys came home from all kinds of trauma that they didn't really know they had, nor was it addressed until we caught for this other thing. So there's a lot of generational cycles of dysfunction that are buried in to who we've become and very seldom are we given an example of somebody who is either empowered and given permission to just be an expression of who they think they should be and not just go to school get a job get married get the white house and the picket fence and the two dogs and two kids you know we've got these these roles almost that were thrust upon I'm, I'm a little bit older of what you're supposed to do and until we you know, consciously begin to create little people that you don't have to grow up and be anything. You just have to be you now. 
and you know share your needs with me and help, let me help support you and guide you in a way that allows you to stretch and, and challenge from, from that, that safe, comfortable base. And, mm -hmm. and that creates a little person who feels like they can go out in the world. You know, I think it's one of those things, it's, you know, from a very large picture, we have an incredible opportunity right now. I mean, this, there's a lot going on in this nation. There's a lot going on in this world. And if we could all just kind of raise our hands, say, I need some help on this inner work. I've got some issues carrying around here. I'm tired of feeling this way and start to do that work. It's going to be scary. It's going to be tough. You might go down the wrong path seven times before you get halfway on the right path, but it's worth doing. And if we can do that work, all the other issues become solvable. Until we do that work, all the other issues will continue. Someone once told me that you never have a problem in life without a solution. It, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was something to do with God's divine plan for each and every one of us. Now, I don't, I don't know what your belief systems, belief systems are, but I just always think it's very interesting because when people say, oh, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I have this problem. I often think to myself, well, have you asked yourself why you're stuck? You know, like it seems kind of counterintuitive to to say that, but when we constantly repeat, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, much to, you know, the earlier part of this conversation where you mentioned, you know, what you say and what you think is is what you get back kind of thing, that the, the same applies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I, uh, I like language and I like to also get things in how they match up. So if you have a problem which can be perceived as you know a negative and then you have a solution which could be perceived as a positive that's contrast that's mm -hmm. polarity mm -hmm. those are the very things that create life you cannot have any comfortable place in the middle without some extremes you know that, that's, that's, that's what life is, you know, there's, you know, there's light and there's darkness, you know, there's positive, negative, you know, a lot of times we skew more, oh, I just have to be more positive. It's like, I don't know if you ever try to put a battery in anything, but if you put, keep putting more positives and never get the negative in touch with the side, the, 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 the energy does not flow and nothing happens. Yes. We need both. We need balance, yes. both, always yes. we need harmony. Yes. We need all that contrast. We need those extreme people because they kind of fill in, you know, the middle where, most of the stuff is going on, you know, so mm -hmm. it's a, but how we think those very words, they inform, you know, kind of how we act, you know, how we behave. It's a great point. I also think, especially with what's going on right now, the social aspect has been gravely impacted. And it's so interesting to observe where people are operating from. There are so many people who are afraid and it's like, yes, there's this virus that's going on and there's all of this other stuff that's going on. The way I, I wonder is what are people all, like really afraid of? Like, you know, is it the fear of death? Is it the fear of, you know, being cast out of the tribe or, or what is it? And, you know, to your, your point about contrast and polarity, we as humans are pre-programmed to focus on the negative. We're program to focus on the negative because if we didn't and we weren't able to recognize threats coming in we would probably die and i just think it's very interesting to see how that is all playing out uh you know in in the situation right now and i feel like this whole uh, pandemic situation has really amplified that for a lot of people and i also feel that it has turned up the volume on a lot of people's deep-rooted trauma and their fears and all of the things they've been trying to avoid for 
however many years. Yeah, I'm curious your your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a big deal. One of the uh, one of the words I've learned um, in this past year when I got my my latest you know that trauma informed coaching certification is the term co-regulation. That means that we need each other to regulate. Mm-hmm. We are you know at the core we're, you know we're mammals and we're you know we're you know pack animals you know we're we're group animals we developed you know in cooperation you know it was wasn't you know one single you know man who could make it on his own or even a single man and woman it's too tough especially back you know in the more raw times and with nature so there was you know groups of you know and it, it depended on you know time and geography but you know 30 to 80 people you know, had to be together in cooperation and work with and support each other and complement each other's strengths and weakness, not tear each other apart for them, you know, to celebrate each other's differences and be thankful that that person could do and see and think what you don't because it helped all of us. So there was a cooperativeness that, again, this is tens of thousands of years that got us to the point so where we could semi-comfortably sit here in front of this screen. You know, I've got everything I need in this house. And if not, I can call or order through the, you know, this device we're on and have food and all manner of products delivered to my house within mm-hmm. hours or days. I don't even have to leave house. You know, I've got to make <laughs> living through this thing right here and the check keeps coming. I don't have to leave the house. I really don't. I mean, I do, I do go to the grocery store, but that, uh, so being isolated, and not co-regulating, but then going back to an early thing, this virus thing, it creates uncertainty. Mm-hmm. When you tell people that they must stay in or they must not do something, that creates some anger because mm-hmm. now they're feeling controlled or manipulated. And, mm-hmm. and to a degree, you know, it's a, you know, it's a legitimate, you know, feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. legitimate response. When you're, again, if you're going back, if you're angry or if you're afraid, we dip out of our ability to be up here, our prefrontal cortex, our executive function, this thing that makes us us, the thing that we can, when this is working and we're using it with focus and attention, hopefully some love and passion and for the good, we are incredible of wonderful, wonderful things. When we slip down further into that much older part of our brain, you know, the amygdala getting into our central nervous system, that fight or flight, well, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna fight, we're gonna vilify and say, oh, those people over there are the bad people. If we can just get rid of them, Mm-hmm. And it'll all be better, but then they'll still be them and it still won't be all better. Or <laughs> people like sounds like you and then myself, if this whole fighter thing is I don't like to fight and I don't necessarily like to run because I'm not a very fast runner. So I just slip on down and I just disassociate and I'll go read in the quarter and I will go and I, I coined this uh, some time ago in some of my little scribbles. I'm hiding from a world that's not looking for me, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what I've done. And that's what we're doing. And so one of the things, you know, people will watch the news or get on the social media and all this stuff is coming at them and it's, it's intended to keep them afraid. It's intended to keep them scared. And it's, when they, they do that, they can't think. And so at that point, they're telling them what to think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scare you into feeling vulnerable and powerless and I'm going to tell you what to think. Mm-hmm. And lately, one of the things I've been doing is I've been pointing that out. You know, anything that, kind of hit you somewhere where you get a response and then it tells you what to think, be wary of that. Yes. If yes. something hits you and prompts you and tells you how to think, that might be better. You know, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to think, but here are some things that you have available to you that may serve you. Where you take them and how to apply you, 
you know, I just want what's best for you. And that's unusual for a lot of people. That right there is like, hmm, this guy wants something. No one's ever wanted anything good for me before. <laughs> that's legit, right? <laughs> so, you know, we are in a very interesting time, you know, with this wonderful tool, again, that contrast. The computer, it's going to make everything better. Has it? It's made some things better and a lot of things worse. Mm -hmm. You know, every solution is we were talking, we have this problem. I have a solution. Well, that solution creates another problem and another solution. And, and, and it, it just keeps going. You know, mm -hmm. it's always one step forward, one step back. You know, it's mm -hmm. so again, that's just the contrast. And, you know, the bigger the problem, that's the greater the resistance. And the way electricity flows, so energy, is it requires resistance. For flow to occur, to get power, you need resistance. It needs a conduit, and a conduit will always have resistance. Ultimately, we always want to be pointing and blaming, and you know, because that's it's easier, you know, they'll fix it. And then there's a certain part of it that's been programmed to get a shot, take a pill, or you know, if you just buy this thing, it'll all be better. But that's a lot of marketing and it's a lot of manipulation. Mm -hmm. You know, going in here and going in here and doing hard work, and it's not gonna be better tomorrow. Say you need, need to get in shape, you, need, you know, you need to lose weight. Well, you'd have to change your diet, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. You don't have to go to the gym and one week isn't going to fix it. One week is going to get you on track, but depending on where you are, it may take months or many months. And it's a process. So it's more about setting ourselves up to be, you know, in a, in a process of being that allows us to be okay with where we are at any point along the way. Yes, I, I agree. And I often find that our, our perceptions, what we perceive around us are often deceptive we might perceive that someone's being a total a-hole to us and really you know their cat and their dog just died this morning and they got in a car accident and they lost their job and they're just having a bad day and i think we as humans a lot of us we as humans we have forgotten the element of being human of thinking oh instead of this thinking and assuming that this person is attacking and just being a total a-hole to me why don't i think about the fact that I don't know what happened to this person. I don't know this person. I don't know what's gone on in their life. I don't know what they're going through. And you just, just that, even just that shred, that hair of compassion to think, just make that subtle shift can be enough to change things even for that person. Because you, you were talking about energy and our thoughts have energetic vibration and frequency. Our mouths, our voices, that's obviously a frequency. If there was no frequency, you wouldn't be able to hear me. And I think that there is so much power. And it even talks about it uh, in, in the scriptures. It actually talks about in the Bible how our voice is the most powerful frequency on earth. And I think a lot of people forget that. So they run around making all of these statements saying, I can't do this. I, I could never do this. I'm afraid of this. Well, yeah, it's maybe it's true that you can't do it, but it doesn't mean that you won't be able to do it down the road. Or I'm afraid of this just because you're afraid of it right now doesn't mean in 10 years when you've done all this work or next month when you've done this, these changes that you won't feel differently about it. I think we've sort of lost that, that ability to be compassionate, not only with other people, but with ourselves. You know, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I, I just wish them well. I'm like, you know what? Maybe they're having a bad day. Like I hope I, and I always say it out loud. I'm like, have a nice day. You know, and I like, I feel good about it. And if I don't, then I, then I just don't say anything. I'm like, no, if I'm, you know, if I'm having a bad day and I'm being a miserable wretch, then I'm like, no, I'm not going to say anything because 
I would rather send out the vibration of what I want to receive back than to send out stuff that I don't want. And I don't, I don't want any more, you know, drama. I don't want any more pain in my life. So if there's, if there's something that I can do and it's even that small, just to think that way or to feel that way and to just have a great day. I'm sending you blessings, like whatever's going on with you, like love and light to you, whatever. I, I think that is like the smallest change that people could potentially consider implementing to see massive changes in their own life. And I, I would love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. I love that example. And I'll be the first one to admit, and lately I don't drive anymore, you know, other than like, the yeah. floor, but when I used to drive a lot, that was one of my, my indicators. You know, if I'm on my self-care, which I mean, that's the first thing, right? It starts, mm. starts with us. It starts with us. If, you know, if I stayed up late, you know, having beers, you know, with buddies and then, you know, I wake up tired and hungover and I sleep into the last minute and I, you know, throw myself in the shower and run to my car and I'm rushing because I've given myself no time because of the decision I made, you know, last night, it's mm -hmm. not this person's fault, but I will. Oh, I will. I'll be driving the car three people in front of me when I'm not, dude. You know, and I will have <laughs> colorful vocabulary. You know, and, and you know, bringing up all manner of not so nice things. But again, this is just me. But when I got to bed on time, allowed myself to have time in the morning to have some sort of a, a little ritual, a little gratitude, a little love, a little maybe asking for some 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 help on an area that I you know I want to be and what I want to do that day, and kind of seeing not just okay, here's my list, but who do I want to be when that moment? When I when I meet with Rochelle today, do I want to show up as some know-it-all, you know, pinhead, or do I want to be this, you know, and, and decide how we actually show up? Not just yeah. what we wear, but again, how we use our voice, how we use our face, how we're receiving. Are we listening or just bah, waiting to talk? So anyhow, all that, you know, around that self-care. So, but really, it starts at home, and so much of us again, the marketing and the manipulation is that you must mm -hmm. be on all the time. Mm -hmm. That is not true but this is it's a there's so much of this stuff and i love it all i can go on and on and on but right now we are basically in a, in, in a very large cycle i mean like tens of thousands of years type cycle in a kind of a masculine one we're in a patriarchal world right now there's a lot of male dominant things at the very you know hierarchy of things you've mentioned it's it's a male deity that somehow created all this where everywhere i see in this planet it's females bringing it in mm -hmm. and before the agricultural revolution the people, the indigenous people, they, it was much more the divine feminine. You know, it used to be that men were in awe of women because they brought life for them. They had no idea about, you know, sperm and eggs and, you know, all that stuff. They just thought some spirits intermingled or whatever. But little by little, we began to understand that men have a small part. And let's look at it, you know, look at it, look at an overburned egg and a sperm. And that's how, that's the difference in the part we play. So anyhow, so there's this energy of always being on, but that contrast, the, the yin and the yang, the feminine, the masculine, this isn't gender, it's more energetic or tendency. Yes. Male is always on. Mm -hmm. Male is cyclical. Mm -hmm. Now in life, as I see it, the only thing that's always on are stars. And none of us are stars. These things are tremendous balls of energy that burn with intensity that we can't even fathom for billions of years. If you tried to tell time to a, the sun, it would giggle at you. A second, <laughs> yeah. about a second. You know, or the brightest light we could shine at the sun, it's not gonna match up. Lumen per lumen, watt per watt, power per power. There's nothing we can do that can approximate it. And we yeah. can turn our back on it. We can pretend that other things that make our lives possible, it just keeps shining. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't care if you put up a wall, 
you know, it just, it just keeps shining. So it's a beautiful example. But so again, kind of going back to that, um, you know, how we show up, how do we want to be? And part of how we want to be is empowered by, you know, how we're not. And so, you know, half the planet turns its back on the sun half the time. You know, night is just a shadow of ourselves. Night is just mm -hmm. a shadow of the planet. And most of the animals, you know, they sleep for about half the days. You know, there are a lot of some of the big predators, they might eat once a week and just sleep for 20 hours a day. They're not lazy. They're living in a very, very, very hard life and death environment. And that's how they work. We're different, but there's a balance there. Mm -hmm. And you ask about the racing thing and the Navy. Yes. Thing. Yes. I'm like, I'm dying to ask questions about this. <laughs> the most high functioning things like, like a race car, a race car is worked on for hundreds of hours for every one hour that it operates. It's completely in pieces being inspected, shined, polished, perfected, put back together. And then it's put in a special truck and transported across a bunch of roads, sometimes by airplane to a racetrack where it's lovingly caressed and polished and reassembled and set up to the exact specification for that track. And then driven by a car, a guy who's been driving for 15 years, his whole life to be the best to get in that car, to just drive for two hours as fast as he can to go nowhere fast. So it's, it's silly, but that's a level of preparation and excellence. Um, there's a wonderful example right now in, um, if anyone follows basketball, there's a guy named LeBron James. He is very old for a professional basketball player, yet he's still at the top of his game because early on, he made recovery. If he's not playing or training, he is in recovery. He is doing everything he can to get his body back into optimal shape so the next time he gets on court. So when we, and we have a job, we need recovery. We need to stop working. We need to hydrate ourselves. We need to rest. We need to detach from all this input and, and just be, and then in that time, do a little bit of our own programming instead of responding and saying to ourselves, sometimes I have doubts in myself, but I have accomplished some things that if I try, I think I can do some more. That person was mean to me, but I am not a bad person. I have done some bad things, but I didn't mean them. It was in the heat of the moment. and I have to forgive myself and prepare ourselves to feel okay, or at least okay, or to feel good, or to feel great. And so that when you go out into the world and we meet these little resistances and these little voices, like you said, if we can just like, oh, oh thanks for sharing that. Are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And that person's gonna just lock up. Some of them might just lock up and walk away. Some of them might start crying because they hadn't heard that, you know, days, weeks, months, or ever. Yeah. But to get to that point, to acknowledge that first, that hurt, as we were talking about, that hurt, that pain, that separation, all those things within ourselves, we've got to face and accept it within ourselves because if we don't do it there, it's gonna be very difficult to do it out there. It's not mm -hmm. impossible. Because mm -hmm. like, personally, I've, you know, by, on the one hand, I'm like, my life has been easy compared to most, but this isn't a comparison game. On the other hand, you know, I've felt very unwanted and very unworthy for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. How I coped with it was to, you know, join the Navy. I got some value and some worth. I was, back then when I was in the Navy, it was in the 80s, service people. I literally, I honestly saw when I was stationed in Norfolk, sailors and dogs stay off the lawn. So, really? Yeah, that's the post-Vietnam era stuff, yeah. Didn't use oh. <laughs> it wasn't in the 80s it wasn't cool it wasn't you know respected and that's that's cool i'm right with it i'm glad now it also matters it's good now oftentimes in life 
um, I'll see somebody get something. Um, for example, I, know I, I had a son years ago and at his birthday, my Nana, so my mom's mom and my grandma were there. When I was a child, my parents were divorced. When I was a child, those two women were never in the same place. And I was so thankful for Michael that he got what I never got. I wasn't mad, I wasn't angry, I didn't feel left out. I was just glad it finally happened. Yeah. You know, and I see that a lot. There's a lot of times when good things are happening for people. And a lot of times if something good happens to people, they want to break it down. They want to take it from them. I've got this weird thing where I, I would have liked to have been that person, but I'm just glad it's, it's happening. I'm fine. It's happening for someone. It's a start. I would have mm -hmm. loved to be at the front of that line, but, but I'm just glad somebody is getting that because now someone else can. And eventually no one will have to feel the way I did. You know, they'll have another set of challenges. They want to feel that. So it's, it's so important to begin to like, yeah, there's been times when I've had a bad day and I've just been a dick. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this person is having a bad day and they're not really this behavior. There's someone who's hurt, confused, hungover, or, or, or lost, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but it's it's hard to process in a moment. But if we're already all off balance, all the time, just go, 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 and believe, 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 we're not gonna be able to show up how we want to. So we have to decide from the first moment we awake and even back it up, decide when you go to sleep. You know, always be deciding to get ahead. That's another thing, you know, we, we learn in, in racing. When to go fast, you have to look really far ahead because that slows everything down. And then if you lose control, don't fixate on the tree or the wall. Look where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And you need a car going, I've done this, a car going 120 miles an hour and you lose it and you're just doing this and you were beating on the wheel, the car, you're spinning and you don't fixate on the wall. You just keep looking to where you want to go and somehow you'll get there. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but a lot of time. <laughs> so it's, it's really powerful. So in life, it's the same way. Focus on where you want to go and be who you want to be. Not who you think they need to be. Not who, who they're telling you to be. That little voice inside of you that's always there, that's always guided you, that's always knowing that you are love, you are light, you're an incredible, perfect creation for this time and place. And, and work hard to be that. And it's it's the toughest thing you, there is, but it's also the most rewarding thing there is. Yes, I agree. And I've, I've got to ask you before we wrap up here, can you share some more insights about what it's like to be a winning mechanic in the Indy 500? Please share, because I'm sure people are dying to hear about this. It's amazing. Well, you know, it's interesting thing. And again, if, I mean, if it's, it's, we all have our, our, our reverent thing, right? For some people, you know, I don't know, going to, you know, going to the Vatican would be a big deal. You know, going to the Whaling Mall would be a good deal. You know, to go see the pyramids, um, you know, to go, you know, see some Civil War battlefields, to go visit Tulum in Mexico, you know, to go to, to some of the pyramids down in South America too. We all have something that we hold reverently, right? It's, it's, it's just what we like to do. And, and the diversity and the scope of that is, is exactly what it should be. You know, for some people, you know, just to, you know, get on the top of a mountain, for other people to get out in the ocean, whatever it is. But since I was a little kid, I've always liked the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, I grew up in San Diego. I'm not from a racing family. But that race falls generally on the last Sunday in May, around Labor Day. As it turns out, my birthday falls, you know, around then. And about every seven years, that race falls on my birthday. So as a child, well, Labor Day weekend, you know, yeah, they say it's Labor Day weekend, or excuse me, Memorial Day weekend, but it's kind of my birthday weekend. Yeah, it is. 
and they have this race. I'm a little kid, right? And I'm a miserable little prick some of the times because things, you know, I got, my parents are divorced. My mom's got this just asshole of a boyfriend who does terrible things to both of us, you know, and I'm just shuffled around from house to house. And I got this babysitter who decided to take me places I had no reason to go. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to make my best. So this, this race car thing, and I used to love matchbox cars. So me and cars are big. So I just always liked it. And then just by chance, years later, I got into racing, and, you know, and I was in a dark place in my life, you know, my Nana, who's my, the one person who loved me the best, no matter what, um, she had just died, my mom's, you know, next husband, you know, whatever, her husband, who was an okay guy, we actually did some growing and learning together, they died within two weeks of each other, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer this, this time, so in 1992, all this was going on, I decided, you know what, I'm going to win the Indianapolis 500. I had no reason. I mean, I was living in the worst possible place. I was, I was doing some, you know, some drugs. I was hanging out with a bunch of people right on the very, the wrong edge of society, the very fringe, you know, just on the edge of homeless. I was in the worst space possible. And I had no right. I, you know, some people would say I was just dreaming. I was just full of shit. And they never mm-hmm. say that. From all looks and intents, they were true. <laughs> so, ended up, you know, I find racing. I get into racing. You know, I didn't really think about it. And then I have this written down on a piece of paper still. And, um, and then, you know, just the way it went, I ended up getting onto a team and I ended up getting to work on a car. And in 2007, I went just as flying pit crew, which is totally cool. I just got floated for the weekend to do pit stops on a car. We, we ran fifth that day, but I got, to, I was over the wall, you know, Indianapolis 500, you know, when you go out into the grid, again, there's 300,000 people there and they have, there's flyovers and they have, you know, old gym neighbors singing, you know, Welcome to Indiana and Florence Henderson singing, you know, you know, so, you know, the Brady Bunch mom singing, a, yeah. you know, um, God bless America. And, and I mean, there is, there is just a gravity around that place. All those people, all that tradition, that race has been going on since 1911. So this has been <sighs> going on, you know, it, it didn't oh, run. Yeah, <laughs> World, World, World War II, that's patriotism to me when the race is shut down because it, all those munitions, all the material, those people are off fighting that's patriotism. It's not waving flags while you're here holding the race. It's when the race isn't held because the bigger mission is important. So, I, I mean, I love India. I am, I am biased as can be about it. It's always going to be the biggest race to me. So, anyhow, when you go out to the grid that day, you just feel it's huge. And so it happened, you know, I worked on this car, but it was at the same time, this car, it, you know, the car's a car, but the crew I worked on, I'd spent the previous three years working on another team great crew chief, great leader, great guys. I was part of it. We were this incredible, like once in a lifetime, once in a career, cohesive unit of people that did incredible things together. And it was the most beautiful expression of teamwork and just love and passion and, and adversity. I mean, there was, we, you know, worked sometimes 120 hours a week. Like, wow. you know, it would, it would be rare to go to work and come home on the same day, you know, wow. and, uh, but we loved it, you know, we were working together. It was for something we believed in. So, you know, we did it. So anyhow, that car went up and across the finish line. We had won that race and I had tears and I didn't feel like I deserved it. That's where I was at that time. So you can, you can be achieving it. It looks great, man. You just done something that, I, I know I know a lot of guys in racing that worked for many years that haven't got to win that race. So I was just, it was lucky, it was timing. I'm not the best mechanic by any means. I'm a mechanic, I can do the work, but it's not my calling, it's not my true passion, or it's not, you know, my, my talent, if you will. It's just something I can do. And I can do a lot of things, but I only do a few really well. And so even in that moment, 
when most people were elated and like, yes, I got exactly what I deserved. It was like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I deserved it. I was crying from a place of being, you know, feeling undeserving. And, um, and so it was very, again, that contrast, right? In the best moment, what was there? Something to the shadow, you know, some, mm -hmm. some, some other voice inside of me that was one that was just a preclusion at the time. I was working for one of the best race teams in the world. All through my life, I always associated the best I could with people or organizations that gave me worth or a sense of worth because I didn't have any on my own. And so when I started out in this coaching thing in my own business and I let go of the crutches and the guardrails and I just, into the, the void I went. And, and quite frankly, I'm still working my way out. I'm still very much in progress. You know, um, I can't really quantify exactly where, but if I had to guess on the on the scope and scale of where I, I hope to go and where I hope to go is really the spot between like my heart and mind, I'm probably maybe on a good day, about six of where I'd like to be. And on mm -hmm. bad days, I'm probably still, I still have twos. You know, there's days where I just wonder, it, you know, not is it worth it all, but am I? Mm. And, and so that that's the work and you know you can help me and people every time i you know if i find somebody like someone who looks down or something if i can just check in with them and pick them up a little i feel better but it's a fix it's a mm -hmm. fix no different than slamming something in your arm it's, it's like a, a drug yeah yeah and so i need to learn to do that from a place of still kind of getting the the exchange but not needing it mm -hmm. quite frankly sometimes the, one of the reasons i do this work rochelle is to a certain extent, I still kind of need it. But that need also drives me to keep pushing into places that are very uncomfortable for me. Yes. So, so it's that, you know, it's that balance again, that contrast, you know, that, you know, there can't be one thing out there. If I was perfectly good and perfectly centered and I didn't require anything and I knew exactly who I was and was perfectly good, I'd probably be done because one of my many theories is once you find that out, often you move on because that's what we're here to do anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting perspective. My my personal perspective on that is, yeah, like what the day you stop learning about yourself, about your surroundings, about your environment, about how you can be better, to me, that's sort of like the 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 nudge that's like, okay, it's time to move on from here. I've learned all I can learn and you know now is now is my time. I would love to finish with what are some final words of wisdom, some words of encouragement that have been really helpful for you what would you like to say to the listeners and the viewers and how can they connect with you it's an interesting thing you know i hear uh i'm not sure if you listen to but one of my favorite podcasts is tim ferris yes asked, you know if there's anything you would put on a billboard you know and there's so many you know wonderful words of wisdom you know to do unto you know you know the others you would have them do unto you or you know all kinds of great things and the one thing and it's, it's probably one of the most difficult things you can do but it actually layers a couple things. But the idea is to honor yourself with every breath. So if you are honoring yourself, you'll do no harm because you cannot. And if you're doing it with every breath, then you're aware of your breathing. And when we're aware of our breath and when we are kind of doing it intentionally and in a way that, you know, supports us, you know, keeps us where we need to be, then we're also having a better chance of being who we want or should be. So there's like a there's you know a couple interlocking things there and it's it's so simple, honor yourself with every breath. But again, it's you could spend a lifetime practicing. In a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, all the most important things in life they're not achievements and they're not destinations, they're practice. 
-hmm. always practicing, you know, so that you may be your best in that, in the moment as the need arise, but there'll be another moment later and you will need a new level of practice to serve or to survive. And for the connection thing, you can find me on, on the LinkedIn and um, I know on the Instagram and Twitter. I'm, I don't have a huge, you know, following in that stuff. I'm still, quite frankly, all that stuff is a bit of a, a bit of a mystery to me. I'm, I'm not a marketing master. Um, you know, I'm not a seeker of followers. You know, I'm just looking for that next person that, you know, I could help really get to be happy with who they are, get them, you know, on the track towards what's important to them and what they want. I thank you so much for sharing. And I will include uh, the contact information that I do have for you, including your website, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, and your Twitter. So people can connect with you and share what they've learned from the podcast and any words of wisdom that they received, maybe any nudges that they received. And I just want to thank you from my whole heart for sharing in this sacred space with me and sharing all of this beautiful information and your experience and your opinions and your thoughts on things and how you feel about and process things. It's honestly, it's, it's why we do this work coach to coach. It's why we do this work showing up every single day, not just for ourselves, but for the people who, who need us. And thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Rochelle. I appreciate you having me on and for this podcast and for all the work you're doing for, for all the people that you do. It, 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 you know, it affects and benefits all of us, you know, whether we know it or not or aware or not. You are absolutely amazing. I, I appreciate you and, and I see you. So thank you so much. I see you. <laughs> thank you.